0: And then we'll get right into verse 3. The name of today's message uh, is part of chapter 12. It's really about taking Romans. You know, we have studied, we have at what the gospel really means. I mean, all, the whole of Romans up to this point has really been about breaking down and dividing what it means to be a Christian, okay? Uh, and, uh, and if you have any interest, I mean, we we come this far, I can't really, just, I can't do any justice for America at this point. Uh, but when we come this far, if you have any interest, uh, please go back and listen to the other sermons that have gotten us to this point. Paul's writing a letter to the, to the young Christians, the young believers in Rome, And uh, it's a very eclectic church, uh, uh, culturally eclectic, uh, the, the religious backgrounds are very eclectic. It's a very mixed group that's come together under the banner of Jesus Christ, and they're learning how to be Christians together. And uh, uh, Romans is is such a beautiful book, I'm so thankful for uh, our time together so far. But now, really, uh, everything that we've talked about so far is is rubber hitting the road. And now this is the part where Paul is charging them to live out the reality of the Gospel. That it's time to take all the things that he taught previously, these kind of abstract ideas about what it means to be forgiven, about what it means to, to stand in front of God, uh, a righteous and, and set-apart believer, what it means to, to, to have access to God, and all these things that we've learned, and make them a reality in terms of the way that we live. And so today's message uh, is part of a, a, a segment of the series called The Gospel in Practice, and today is specifically The Gospel in Practice of Partnering with Gifts. We're going talking about what it needs to be unified in terms of our gifts today. Let's pray real quick, and then we'll get into it, okay? Everybody's got Bibles, alright? Bibles on your phone, the Bibles on your lap, and let's be ready um, to hear from the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord. I am weak, and I recognize that. Uh, Lord, I, I recognize that When I woke up this morning, uh, I was in a bit of a fog, and, and I thought, uh, I don't have anything to offer. I don't have anything to say and um, Lord, <laughs> uh, that reality, uh, me. And so what I am, uh, I want to use, I desire to use, you have something to say.
1: Uh,
0: you have something that we need to hear. Lord, um, uh, I pray for strength. I pray for a sharp mind this morning, that people will be uh, longing to hear from you and ready. So be with us at this time, and keep us what it needs to be strengthened in our unity, that our teamwork, might be such that we would see your kingdom further here in Kansas City and throughout the whole world because the testimony of what you're doing. We ask this in your Son's name. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Now we talked about this idea last week of what it means to be a living sacrifice. Okay? And we talked about that that we use this term, we use this phrase, especially as Christians who are somewhat familiar with their Bible, we like to throw the the, the term a living sacrifice around a little bit willy-nilly, and I don't think we fully understand what it means to be a living sacrifice. That means to be dead to your flesh. That means your desires and your your uh, imagination about what it it means to live in this world, and your desires, and and, the things that you've always insisted that you needed, okay? All of those things become optional in light of who Jesus Christ is. When we look at Jesus Christ and what he did for us, his death, burial, and resurrection, his absolute love for us, our lives, in light of that, everything is on the table. We can give up anything, so because of what he did and what he gave up for us, we can give up anything. There's nothing precious. You know, I'm an art teacher, I don't know, a lot of you know that, some of you don't. I'm an art teacher in a high school, and one of the things I teach is that I teach lots of biblical principles to art. Mm-hmm. But one of the principles that I teach is when students are making things, a lot of times they have a reservation in terms of the way that they make art. They, they tend to like rely on maybe old things that they learned, even things that they learned in elementary school, little bit, things that they know about color or form. And a lot of times they're in bondage in terms of their art making and their ability to express themselves because they're stuck in old conventions, things that they assume. And one of the things that I teach them is that, is that there's nothing precious about their art. When they're done with their project, when they're done with their painting or their sculpture, whatever it is that they're making, then it is just an object and it doesn't mean anything. It doesn't really mean anything. Now that's shocking because we live in a world that everything that you make in art is supposed to be pretty and amazing and awesome. I want those hats on the head, but one of the things that I teach them is that you'll never learn unless you stretch the boundaries at which you make things. And if, you're not, and if you're afraid to fail, and if you're, and if you're afraid to give same things up, you'll never make art at a level of expression that you're gifted to do it at. Now here we are, Christians, and we like to talk about being a living sacrifice, but we don't understand what that really means, that if you're not uh, ready and willing to give up anything, there's if nothing, nothing is precious, nothing in my life I hold dear, if I can have that mindset, that I have the ability to yield at any level, and then I can go and do and say and be whatever it is that the Lord is calling me to do, be, and say, do you understand? This is absolutely crucial. And as we talked about that, we defined three different Christians last week. We talked about three different Christians. We talked about the convenient Christian, the consecrated Christian, and the controlled Christian. We categorized Christianity very easily. Christ means people call things, and So, but, but by, by, and I think everybody can relate to each type of Christian that we talked about last week. The so first one was the convenient Christian, okay? And this is a Christian that struggles to be a living sacrifice because their sensibilities get in the way. Okay, we define it this way. It's a Christian that follows Christ until it infringes on their personal lifestyle. Until it infringes on their personal lifestyle. You know, I will I will work in Kidtown and, and I will serve the church. Up until the point where, where, wherever your line is, wherever your line of the sand is, as far as you and Christ are concerned, and you say, I will not go beyond on this point. And some of, you, some of you say that to the Lord about missions. Some of you, your line of the sand is maybe even much more temporal than that. You're not willing to clean up uh, those dirty tissues that Jorge was talking about in the i I'll take, I'll mop the floors, I'll sweep them off the floors, but Jorge can pick up the dirty tissues. <laughs> You know, uh, that sounds funny. So let me get, express something to you. When we first started Midtown Baptist Temple, this was, this was very, very real. Very, very real. i talked to you about this. And in those early days, a lot of people who came to be a part of the initial work, part of that group, you know, when we first came down, we had about 15 to 16 people who shared each verbally and committed themselves to being a part of the work here in Midtown, standing the church. And after a few months, we, we had Dwindled um, down to about 25. Now I remember those early days. I was about, you know, 22, 23 years old, and um, you know, there at the 40th of Walnut, there wasn't Sunday revival, there wasn't fecal uh, matter on the steps of the church. That was a hotbed for homelessness right there on that corner. And I can't even from the pulpit tell you things that I cleaned up. Now I'm not saying that because I'm. I'm, I'm, I'm saying I I was anything special, but I remember that there was a moment when, uh, in those early days where I asked myself, if I'm not willing to do this what other things am I not willing to do? Like if I don't pick up this pair of homeless man underwear, (coughs) pull a senko matter right now I remember having this conversation in my head, what else am I not willing to do? And I didn't want it to be said of me that Brandon is only willing to go this far. That he's not a living sacrifice. I didn't want to be a demeaning Christian. A lot of us have lines in the sand, places that we're not willing to go. And the question is, are you willing to die to those things that you might actually be used by God? Or do you want to constrain the word? Do, do you want to make prohibitions on Christ? Here's how the Christian we talked about was a consecrated Christian. Now, now, by by that name we would think, well, that's a very positive thing, okay? And that's what the consecrated would want you to believe. They want you to believe that they are absolutely and truly controlled by the Holy Spirit, okay? This is a a person who follows Christ with their intellect, their emotions, and their personal will, but never completely yields their life. In other words, they're willing to make a quick, fast, hard uh, uh, statement of conviction. Okay, when the the missionary comes and they come and they preach about Malawi, okay, and they express their heart in Malawi, they're the first one to get their checkbook out and say, oh yeah, I'll get to that work. Yeah. They're the first one when there's there's something to be done, they're willing to step into the gap, and they're there because they have a religious mindset. And it's the illusion of control. And some of us are in that place, but we're not a convenient Christian, you know we, we, we want to serve the Lord but we don't want to die to ourselves. The command in verse 1 is that we be a living sacrifice, that we would present our bodies a living sacrifice to the Lord. And some of us, some of us function in a place of consecration to not control and that leads us to the final. Christian, the controlled Christian follows Christ with a completely yielded life. There is nothing, uh, there is nothing uh, in life that would prevent them from following Christ. These are people that don't make the habit of saying no to God. And that is who we work to be. Look at verse 2. You be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This is where we begin to talk about the difference between worldly conformity and Christ's transforming. Okay, worldly conformity is the result of holding on to worldly affections. Okay, so so it says, be not conformed to this world. you know why it says that? Because the one thing that keeps people from being a living sacrifice is the calling and the beckoning of worldly things. The one thing that will keep you from presenting your bodies a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ and to give Him all the things that He deserves is the beckoning and the calling of worldly desires and worldly things, right, worldly ambitions. And if we set our affections on earthly things, then there is no possible way that we can actually be transformed. Okay, See, so the world just wants to conform you to his image. It's comfortable with you just looking like them, But Christ is not comfortable with that alone. Christ wants to transform you by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Transforming to Christ is the result of giving up your body and giving over your mind. Okay, giving up your body, a living sacrifice. My body belongs to you. And then giving over your mind that might be transformed. Do you understand? Charles Spurgeon said, "If you give your soul up to anything earthly, whether it be the wealth, or the honors, or the pleasures of this world, you might as well hunt after the mirage of the deserts, or try to collect the mist of the morning, or to store up for yourself the clouds of the sky. For all these things are passing away." Now listen, believers. Do you know what that means? Is that we have to reconcile what is it that's getting in the way of truly giving, living sacrifice? We have to reconcile things, and if we can do that, that's the beginning of truly giving over our bodies and giving over our minds. Okay. Now leads this to verse three, and this is where we're going to be today. So this is we're done reviewing now. We're going to look at verse three and let's see what the Lord has for us today. Verse 3 says, For I through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. What's this saying? It's, it's the tendency of every believer who is not a living sacrifice to think of themselves higher than they should. That's a natural tendency. It's common for us to overestimate the nature of our giftedness and abilities. When we think about ourselves, when we reflect on ourselves in any context, not just work or school, even here at the church, many times we have an overestimated and overinflated view of who we really are. See, pride and power are the constant longing of our flesh. And just because we call ourselves Christians, doesn't mean that we don't often tend to believe that we're supposed to be more important and more valued than we actually are. I and mean, oftentimes we like to imagine that we have a better way than the pastor. That we have a better way than the Bible study leader. That we have the answers. That we've got things more figured out. If they want only to understand just how much I have to offer. And I'm telling you right now, this is incredibly dangerous to the work that God has given us as a ministry and as a church. Proverbs twenty nine twenty three says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble spirit. You know, it may also be inferred here, let me, let me also say this, that in verse 3, it may also be inferred from the context that those that think too lowly of themselves are also out of balance. You know, it's the tendency of some people who are now living sacrifice to take lower of themselves than they should. It is not uncommon in the church for being counseled council of its own. Okay, right, like, let me explain something to you. Some of you have created your own glass ceiling in terms of ministry development. Because your your self-loathing and your self-deprecating and has led you to a place where you don't have the ability to say that God can do anything inside of you. And many Christians live a depressed lives because they don't really understand who God has made them to be. They can't social in confidence knowing that the Holy Spirit is indwelling them, that their heart is opposed to Jesus Christ. And so what they do is they're constrained in their, in their, in their inability to move forward because of their lack of confidence. So some of us think too highly of ourselves, some of us think too lowly of ourselves. It's a false humility. I remember not too long ago I was, I was getting coffee with, uh, with uh, Andrew. Is Andrew in here? He might not be in here. I don't know. But uh, Andrew, oh, you know, Andrew's from, Andrew's from Malaysia, you know? And he's still picking up, after years of being in the US, he's still picking up on oh, the Indians. And I explained to him what humble Brad was, <laughs> right, <laughs> um, which is beautiful, okay. But the truth is some of us are full of false humility. And what we do is, is, is we beat ourselves up with the intention that people might think so we just hate our flesh, you know? <laughs> we, just, we just want to live for the Lord. And ask, I'm so worthless. So only God is good to me. And what we're really saying is that we're actually in many ways tying God's hands. And keeping keeping Him from living through us. Because we're so busy beating ourselves up. We imprison ourselves, and many of us are in that place. Now listen to me. As long as some think too highly and others think too lowly, the church is absolutely suspended in the the mission. Those who are proud stub their own usefulness. While those who are anxious and self-loathing refuse God's use. Let me say that again. Those who are proud stub their own usefulness. The Lord doesn't want to use a person as proud. You will keep yourself from moving up in terms of promotion and leadership if you are proud and arrogant. There's no room. There's no room for you to leave. And for those of you who think too lowly of yourselves and struggle with anxiety and seeing yourself as as useless, you are refusing God's use of your own volition. Here's our key point false estimations of self are an assault on God's church. False estimations of self are an assault on God's church. The one to get out here in a moment is that God's God using his word here to explain to us that every member is gifted in a particular ways. Every member is crucial and important to this Bible. Every one of you in this room is necessary for the Great Commission to be lived out in this church. And if we don't see ourselves the right way with humility, with a, with a moderate view, that we're nothing without God but with value of everything, then we will absolutely be an assist to God's work in this congregation. We have to see ourselves the right way. Look on in verse 3, it says, But to think soberly. That's the call. To think soberly. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. But to think soberly. So, sober thinking is what we need. The need is sober thinking that it concerns who we have been made to be. All of us have been made different, correct? Can you look around and agree to that? All of us have been made different. And to be sober in your thoughts is to have an undefiled perspective, a temperate and solemn understanding of self in relation to God's people. This verse basically says that God has given to every Christian the measure of faith. The measure of faith. God spare fairly with all this story. <laughs> Like that. You know, you're, you are the man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you just made your body a bitter sacrifice. You for know? <laughs> all of us. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, just quote it. That's not my responsibility. <laughs> I don't understand these things. Every time I try to mess with it, i make it worse. Okay. Get saved, though, man. What else? Can you be an happy? <laughs> <laughs> it's good to know you're paying attention, though. If like you're engaged with me. Um, God has given to every one of us the measure of faith, an equal distribution. Okay, now this is Right? Right? am about to get at? And I don't want to be complicated here, I don't want to make things difficult, but I want you to understand something. Why is it that we refuse to see things in God's terms? Why do we establish hierarchy based on perceived value? Why do we do that? I mean, we learn it in the world, right? We learn it in the world. It's the way that our jobs work, right? Uh, and, and, and in the world, when you have a job, your boss. Isn't just more powerful than you, and has more authority, but they're also valued more than you. Aren't they? They're valued more than you. You are expendable, and they are less expendable. In my workplace, the principal of my school is more important. The school superintendent is not saying, okay, Uh, you and the principal are both very, very valuable, valuable and you're equal. And you know, if I ended wanting to go, it would be very difficult. we not saying that. he's <laughs> saying, you you're the art teacher, you're expendable, there's about a thousand art teachers lining up to take yours out. Okay? That's cool. But that's what we learned. It. And we said, we bring that philosophy into the church, and what we demand of God is equality. Well, he hasn't given us equality. Things aren't supposed to be equal. We are different. How can they be equal for different? If all of us are different, how can things be equal? How pride hinders our own faith and promotes bias among God's people? That's the wrong way of thinking. you listen to me. What we need to be concerned with is not equality. But what we need to understand is that God God loves equity. Equity. Key point number two. A Christian with a sober mind values the equity of God's grace. Equity. See, we're not talking about equality because equality demands everyone have the same rank and vocation. And in the church that's just not so, is it? It's just not so. For example, in, my, in the church here, I am not equal with Sam, am I? Sam Miles is the head pastor of this church, I am not equal with him. He makes decisions and thank God that he invites me into decision making. That's a privilege, it's a blessing. But I'm not equal to him, and what he says at the end of the day, if it's biblical, I'm cool with that. Because we're not equal. In my home, my wife and I are equal. You know why? Because our roles are different. If we were equal, we'd be doing the same things. I, she just finished breastfeeding. We're, you know, I don't do those. I don't do that. <laughs> that made a difference, Right? So, so it's not hard to see, nature tells us that there isn't equality, that it, God makes people different with different rankings and different offices and different positions, but what God truly values is equity, and equity is the quality of being fair and impartial. See, so God has the ability to say, you know what, Sam Miles, he's not equal to me because I've given him a higher ranking and office in this church, and you know what, I see you as both equally valuable. In my eyes, you're both important. You're both necessary. It's a fairness is established through the attribution of divine value, divine value in God's truth. It means every one of us in the, in the room, God values at the same level. We don't have to do the same thing and be the same people and have the same race and have the same vocation in ministry for God to look at us and say, I love them all equally. I've given to them all the same uh, grace. I've I given to them all the same measure of faith. I love them all the same. So when we can understand that, listen to me, believer, it sets us free to be the person that God made us to be. We don't have to be someone else. I mean, what this world truly needs is this perspective. The, the, the thing we demand of this world is equality. He keep demanding that of this world. And guess what? It's not coming. Equality is not coming. Why? Because we're all made different, with different, different circumstances, and different education, and different backgrounds, and we're all just being different. But the Lord says, I love all of them the same, and all of them are the force in my kingdom. So God's view of equity rests solely in the fact that he is not a respecter of persons. Acts 10.34 says, Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons, but in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. In God's eyes, within the church roles and offices, nothing has to be equal. But the gifting and value does need to be equitable. We need to all see that all of us are valuable. Are you guys moving
1: mm-hmm.
0: Let me give you an example. I, I had a disciple, a man that I discipled, and a veteran a few years ago. Okay? And um this guy was it is probably one of the most shy people I've ever met in my life. Okay, hardcore introvert. All right, and um, man, man of God, love the Lord. He was so easy and eager to be discipled. I mean, I- I'm so thankful for who he is. But in the midst of discipleship, I used to remind him occasionally, as a reminder, that someday we're going to be investing these same truths in someone else, hanging on to the same way I'm be. Now, if someone. It was as extreme an introvert as he was. The idea of that was like horrifying. Right? <laughs> it was scary. The idea to him, the idea of sitting down with someone else and being an authority in a relationship and speaking for 45 minutes to an hour, two hours, and sitting down with them and counseling them and gaining an authority in someone else's life seemed absolutely horrifying. It scared of to death. And you know what? Um, because of that, because he didn't see himself as a natural teacher, a gifted teacher, he didn't have the gifts teach it. he saw himself as lesser than. Him. He saw himself as, as not as important. Okay? And he wouldn't express that openly. But, that's, but that was what his heart was telling him that he wasn't as significant and that he couldn't do that. Okay, but here's the deal. The issue of gifting, the issue of God giving one the gift of teaching and another a different gifting, doesn't change the fact that all of us are responsible for the Great Commission, which is a teaching commission. Okay? Matthew 12, chapter 28, it tells us that all of us are supposed to teach. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you are to teach. It doesn't say only the people who have the gift of teaching are supposed to teach. It doesn't say that. And so what he had to do is in time was reckon the fact that God made him to teach. Because things weren't equal, but they weren't equitable. If God's measure of faith meant that all of us could do the things that were required to live His will. Are you guys with me? Yeah. <laughs> so, what God did is God first made him one of the most effective Kid Town workers I've ever known. And you know what I had to remind him of? Like, you, know, you know that what you're doing in Kid Town that is discipleship. I'm not going to pressure you to go into a formal discipleship relationship. No one's going to demand that of you. You just keep discipling these kids and know that God loves it and that he's good. I want you to be reminded of that. Sometimes we push people to do things. You know, God was working in him, and he found his discipleship in children's ministry. And he still does that. He's doing that of living faith now. Um, now, the cool thing is right now, Dan is just tarried him in his first. Adult mentorship, biblical discipleship relationship, just it. Now listen, it's been six years since I discipled him. This will be his first adult disciple. And you know what God did in his life? His growth isn't because he became more gifted. He didn't, like listen to me, he's still just a spirit. He's still an introvert and he still doesn't have the gift of teaching. Nothing has changed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But he grew more aware of God's equity. See, God is faithful to use him the same way he wants to use everyone to further his kingdom. See this man's differences uh they don't make him less than and they don't excuse him from obeying God. See, he makes him different. Oh me. Let's look at verse 4. I hope this is resonating. I'm getting the look. Right? Hope that, hopefully it just means that you're reflecting. you give me that look, that empty dead look.
1: <laughs>
0: you're just reflecting on the truth. Okay. Yeah, verse 4. Let's talk about the gifting among us. Let's talk about the specific gifti. Because we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. We are different, but the same. We're different, but the same. There are a lot of people at MBT and in Thailand with a lot of different gifts. and a lot of different roles in ministry, right? That's a joy. The God has equipped this church with many different types of people. Look at how equipped this church is. He's prepared all of us in this room to be a part of this work in a very specific way and that is amazing that's an amazing thought that God should do something in the midst of his people that, that the world can never do on their own we can find peace and rest and joy and, and, and companionship in a room with you, that everyone is different no one, no one in here is the same And yet, we can all find our proper place. Let me explain something to you. Carla and Gabby and Becca leaving, they leave a void in ministry. A void that needs to be filled. And guess what? We're equipped to fill it. We're equipped to fill it. God knew, God's timing is good. God is righteous. He's not going to leave us in weakness. He's preparing some of you to fill gaps in ministry, to come alongside, to step up. I'm so pleased to be in a ministry and serving with such a a diverse group of people with so many different gifts. Each gift and every skill you've been given is a blessing and it's intended to join, uh, it's intended to cause us to join ourselves together in one great collaborative work and that's God's body working for God's kingdom. That God's body, His body, living for His kingdom. That's the great collaborative work. <laughs> and so we're going to look at some of these giftings that are listed for us here. Verse 5. So we being named are one body in Christ, and everyone members one of another. Having then gifts different, different, according to the grace, what is given to us, whether prophecy, let's prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our, uh, on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation. He that giveth, let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence. He that showeth mercy with his cheerfulness. Now what Paul's done for us here, is he's given us a group, this isn't an exhaustive group of, of gifts. Here. We go other places in the Bible to find other gifts that are listed here. But he gives us very specific gifts. That everyone in this room can actually—there's no one in this room that cannot find a gift here. So, very interesting set of gifts. And the first set, the first four gifts, gifts are gifts of expounding God's word, the teaching of God. The, the first four gifts. The first one. Listen, are you with me? We're going to go pretty quick here, and they're going to be listed for you. I'm trying to give you definitions because we got a look kind of quick here. But I want you to understand uh, what these different gifts are. Okay. The first one says prophecy. Now. During the church age, it's important for you to understand that the word prophecy implies prophecy. Okay? And what that meant was that before the word of God was fulfilled, before the, the Bible was completed in its fullness, that God used prophets to speak words that were inspired by His Holy Spirit movement. Okay? Now, today that will is fulfilled by preachers. The word prophesy in the New Testament is used to, to, to explain the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about prophesying in the New Testament, what we're talking about is teaching the gospel. This is the role of preachers. In the gift to, let's just say, to preach the gospel. Oh, preach. Great. Um, yeah, you guys know like, that I do this at, like, midnight sometimes. sometimes. Yeah. The large cup of coffee. Um, so... So the command here is, is to do it according to the proportion of faith. So for those of us who are distant preachers, and that's our gifting, then we need to do that at the level, look, this, this is what I want you to understand, is that for those of us who preach, for those of us who teach, God meets us as a proportion of our faith. Our truthfulness when we preach is contingent on what we're going to trust God for. He needs it as a proportion of faith. Okay, so some of us have this responsibility. Some of us are built for that. And some of you will develop into that role, and it's one that requires patience, and timing, and practice. Okay, but God's building you to be that type of person. So that's one type of teaching. Another one is ministry. Ministry which is the gift of service, of all kinds, all kinds of service. This is a very broad, but at the end of the day, it's teaching the gospel in action and in lifestyle. That's what ministry is. The great, the great thing about this is um, I'm so familiar with a lot of you guys' gifts. You know, and, and the thing is that I think God needs to reveal to you through this Holy Spirit. The things that you need to discover, the best kind of learning a lot of times is discovery, isn't it? and just discover you and God alone, maybe in the midst of working in ministry. And there are people in this room who are so clearly amazing ministers. Amazing. Their gift of service was phenomenal. And it's teaching the gospel, it's a form of teaching, using your life to preach and teach the gospel. That's what that is. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. The chief minister is Jesus Christ. Who doesn't want to be like Jesus? What a great gift to be a minister. The command for those to have this gift is to be ready and waiting for opportunities to serve. That's the command here in this passage, is that if you have this gift, You've got to be ready and waiting. There are men in this ministry that have told me, this is such a blessing. I've never heard this in my entire life. It's humbling, and I feel almost embarrassed to say it. I've had men in this ministry come and tell me, look, I'm watching and waiting for you uh, on Sundays, and if you need something, I'm I'm waiting uh, so that if you tell me, I'm ready to go. The most humbling thing I've ever heard People don't say those types of things unless they have this gift. The so praise the Lord for that gift. Next is teaching. Teaching. It gives the study, okay? It gives the study and the presentation of fundamental truths, truths of the Bible. This is a person who studies the Bible with diligence, comparing scripture with scripture, training in exegesis, and the presentation of God's words so that people can understand it clearly. Does that make sense? So these are the, these are the fundamental truths of God's Word. Okay, these are the types of people who spend their time studying so that they can make clear the things that would be confusing otherwise. Who reads the are things in the Bible that are somewhat confusing? <laughs> okay, it's the deepest well that you could ever draw from. And there are people in this, in this room who are gifted at teaching, and they're like slumbers. I don't to say that word. <laughs> you know, a splunker a is someone who goes and, and, and goes into caves and explores caves. They go deep, right? They go deep into the earth. I consider brain a brainless splunker. You know, it took like brain about six years of euthanasy to convince me to go into uh, one of those stupid caves in southern Missouri. <laughs> yeah, that's possible, right? I'm not sure if across the cross for this dude will climb
1: into
0: the most narrow hole, having no idea what's on the other side. top. And to me, that's absolutely a guy, and, But it's a And actually, when we went down to Arkansas the last time, he convinced me. And I ended up wedging myself through little nooks and crannies that I could never imagine. And I've kind of overcome some of my fear, you know? Some of you guys are gifted in this ability to study and to teach. This is who you are. You like to dig deep. And, you, and, you, and it's not good enough to just go deep. It's not good enough to have the head knowledge. You're dealing with the intention that you might further, and pro- uh, further people's understanding and provoke other people to greater faith. Does that make sense?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So some of you are gifted with that. Some of you have a gift of exhortation. Okay? And this is the gift of truly provoking people with the truth of God's word. Uh, what exhortation means is that someone who stirs other people up, who stir other people up. Hebrews 3.12 uh, defines it for us. Take you, brethren, lest let there be any of you uh, an evil heart of unbelief, in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For so we are made partakers of Christ, to we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. Bible says today, if you will hear his voice, harden I the heart as in the day of, of provocation. Okay, this passage is beautiful because it defines for us what exhortation is. Okay? What exhortation is? You have to, you can probably recognize these people in your Bible study. They're the people who are encouraging people. When people get low, they are the people who come and they encourage and provoke people to faith, and sometimes they can say bold words, and they have their liberty to say bold words that other people can't get away with. You know? They say the things that stir people up. Right? They say the things that, that are hard to hear sometimes, but they encourage us so that our hearts don't get hard. Now so this is a little bit abstract, isn't it? Compared to the other ones. Oh teaching, that's a clear cut gift. No, exhortation is a little bit harder to put your finger on. You know what, someone who's an exhorter is someone who is, is, um, whole. Because you don't have the capacity to exhort someone and to provoke someone and to up someone else to faith unless you have it yourself, unless you have a testimony of righteousness that they can clearly see and they know this is a person worth listening to. Does that make sense? Yeah the gift of exhortation. Now those gifts, those gifts are expounding uh, God's Word. The next three are expanding God's Word. It's the work of God. Okay? And, and so the first one in this list is giving. Giving. Giving is the gift, the gift of giving sacrificially and not with doubtful motives. Okay? This is the spiritual gift of giving sacrificially not with doubtful motives. This is a person, who, by their very nature, is a cheerful giver. And they're not really concerned with the minutia of where this might go or what that might do. They're just concerned with living in such a way where they find of joy and pleasure. Okay? In giving up things, it might be the time, it might be your finances. I mean, a lot of you guys are here both, so, you know, you don't have much to give. You know, also have this, um, And hopefully he he won't listen to this because it might embarrass him. You know, uh, Del and Shereen have this gift. Uh, Nothing really belongs to them. It's really weird to me. (laughs) It just like, it's weird. Because there's a time where I've seen Del give things away. When I thought to myself, how do you mean that? (laughs) (laughs) Like, what are you going to do? And the thing is, the weird thing is, he doesn't said anything about the so I'm not, I'm not going to tap it out. <laughs> I don't want to mess up his business, <laughs> right? But like, some of us are that way, and some of you, it's your time, right? Some of you, it's, it's some of you other resources that you have. You're quick to do those things right. and do it in a way that's cheerful, not begrudgingly, not doubtful, not cynically. Oh, I guess I'm, I guess I'm, ugh, right? This is a very particular type of person. Second, Second Corinthians chapter nine. Um I'm not sure which verse it is, because I didn't list it. Because well, you know, in that uh, uh, seven, thank you. Huh. Every man, look at this. You have all participants texting things, adding to my message. <laughs> verse seven, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly, that's the important part, or of necessity, and God loved it, the will love it that you'll fulfill it. God loves it, loves it that will it. what a great gift to have, to be a person that is. This ruin. This was the oversight of the church. Eric Phillips has already left, but Eric Phillips had this gift in. Okay? Um, this is generally an experienced believer, okay, uh, one who has wisdom to know what to do in any given situation. Not a flesh though. It now they might have wisdom that comes with experience and living, okay? But so this is a person who is driven by the Holy Spirit to set an agenda for the body. They are full of faith, full of spiritual discernment as the Holy Spirit leads. Uh, they make decisions that impact the body and affect the great mission, Okay? Gifts of ruin, oversight, administration. Yeah, a no. lot of lists are already always hard, aren't they? It's just like just writing down, like, this is great information. Hopefully, you're, you're asking yourself, well, where do you, where do you sit? Did you have a place here? Seven. Mercy. The giving to the purpose. Uh, the. the oh, sorry. The gifting to pursue those who are hurt and in distress and offer them kindness. Okay. The gifting to pursue those who are hurt and in distress and offer them kindness. This person is driven by Christ like patience. And has a heart full of joy with an abundance to offer offer, uh, Christ in the most difficult circumstances. Let me explain this to you. A person who's merciful is not, they're the type of person who doesn't just go to the people that are hurting. So they go to the people that are hurting and they leave. They, can't, they wait, they encourage. And the gift of exploitation might be there. Okay, But this person is driven by an incredible kindness, generosity, love, devotion, and knowing, and listen, and, and a fullness, a full knowledge of how much God loves an individual soul. You know, Jesus said that that a good shepherd is willing to leave the flock, leave the hundred to go after the one. That's a a gift of mercy. And some of you in this room, you know that your job is to go and draw in the people that are on the fringes, the highways and the byways, those that are hurting, the publicans and the sinners, who are looking on, looking in to the peace, looking into the marriage suffering. Right? And they're looking longingly, and no one in has invited them. And you're willing to go to this, and wait, and be patient, and invest in them. And those of you that are, um, that are doing Bible study, evangelical right now, you need mercy. Patience. You know, the, the weird thing about these gifts is just are a fun thing. People seem to want gifts they don't have. And they don't, and they don't, have, uh, and, and they don't want the gifts that they do have a lot of times. But God put you here because your unique qualities are necessary for the mission to make disciples. They're absolutely necessary. The measuring of God's gifting is dispensed among every believer as He deems necessary, and that's so crucial for us to understand. 1 Corinthians 14:12 says, "Even so, you, for as much as you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek ye to self for the edifying of the church." See, the point isn't that we have to desire other gifts or desire any gifts? If God use the gifts that we do have to edify the church, you don't need to be so preoccupied with what your gifts are and which gifts you don't have. You need to be preoccupied with functioning in a world that edifies the body. And if you do that, your gifts will be revealed, and you will be fitly joined, and you will be profitable for ministry. So, primary concern sure needs to be the edifying of the body. Here's our last key point. Submission to God is to agree to edify the body by whatever gifting he sees fit. Submission to God, if you're truly submitted to God, you are in agreement to edify the body by whatever gifting he sees fit for you. Whatever gift he has dispensed to you, whatever thing that he has given you, skill that he has given you to use for his namesake. sake, you do that. Why? Because he gave it to you you value it. Why? Because he, the master of all things, the king of all things, the creator of heaven and earth, he gave it to you. And you don't need to despise your gift. You don't need to to, to think about yourself in terms of equality. Your job is to think about yourself in terms of equity. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 9 talks about this. Now therefore, we are no more strangers and foreigners, the fellow citizens with the saints, and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the buildings fitly frame together, grow uh, uh, unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye are also, uh, also are building together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. <laughs> You know, in my house, uh, I value my walls and my doors as much as I value this. Mm-hmm. If I didn't have windows, it would be cold. If I didn't have walls, everything would fall down. If I didn't have a door, strangers could come in. If I didn't have stairs, I wouldn't have anywhere to speak.
1: Because
0: I'm interested. Right? Like, do you understand? There isn't one thing that's more valuable. The building is fitly joined together so that it could be profitable to, to the whole family, to everyone that lives inside. Now, this a believer. You've been fitly joined. You've been fitly joined. And you have some things to The first thing I want to ask you is do you know your gifting? Have you prayed that God would reveal it? Some of you need to work on it. If you know your gifting, are you using it? Or are you neglecting? How are you cultivating the gifts that God's given you? Lastly, have you been pursuing a role or an office that God has not gifted or equipped you for? And has that led to covetousness? And especially for those of you who've been in ministry a while, are you coveting after things that don't belong to you, offices, roles, gifts that don't belong to you? That's something worth working through. Okay, now we're gonna close what we've gone over about 10 minutes, okay? Um, and, and the band can come up, and you guys can play. Um, but I'm going to I'm going to pray. If you have something to deal with, I know some of you need to go. That's okay. It's a big group and I went over, and I know that you need to go. But listen to me. This is something worth working through. There might even be some of you in this room today where none of this makes any difference to you because the Holy Spirit doesn't dwell inside you. There's some of you in this room. Well, all this talk about gifting and being silly joined together. It doesn't, it doesn't amount to anything to you because you're still caught in the world system. And you're thinking in terms of the quality of what you can get. What you can get. There's nothing living in like There's no living sacrificially for you. And so the question for you is this. Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you been set free through repentance of sin? Have you been forgiven of your sin? And, and if you haven't, today is the day to do that, to do it. You know? You understand? And we're going to have people up here up front who are the willing to be with you to eat. I'm going to pray right now and ask that the Lord would move us and deal with us at whatever level he sees fit. Okay?